Hello, welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by Jonathan and Ali this week to look ahead to this weekend's Premier League action. And no doubt the biggest game is the Manchester Derby, and that's the game that we are going to start with. But before I do, let's exchange some pleasantries. Jonathan, not been on for a few weeks. You okay? I'm very well, thanks. Yeah, I've been on holiday. It was quite nice. Where did you go? Went to Romania. Did you? Yeah, we went went from uh, travel from Kludge down to Bucharest, stopping off various places on the way. Transylvania, heartily recommend. Did you take in any football in Romania? Yeah, I went to FCSB, who, uh, which is what Stara now called. Oh, uh, nice. volunt- yeah. Okay. Um, FCSB, so FC Stara Bucharest. There's all kinds of issues with uh, who actually owns the rights to the club. Okay. Uh, I saw them draw nil nil against Voluntari, but it was it was one of those games where. About an hour in, I was sort of like I started to think in the ice. Yeah, I quite want voluntarily to, to hold on here because they've they clearly don't have they clearly Stars players are better, but voluntarily had a plan. They just sort of were better organised. They had a, a, a sort of aging Croatian at the back in the field. His name I've forgotten. He was very very good. I liked him a lot. Stars absolutely all over the place. They had a lad called Coman who apparently joined West Brom last summer on the okay. left. He, he looked quite useful. He got injured about like thirty five minutes in. Once he got off, they were hopeless. Such a culture vulture, Jonathan. My dog, incidentally, is is from Romania. In in yeah. other news, little little just little Tebow. information. Tebow, as, as Jonathan knows, a big fan of my my work on Instagram and Twitter. Takes a <laughs> has a keen eye on what I'm I, I, on social media. I don't have an Instagram account. No, I didn't think you would, but I thought maybe you might Google me. Who knows? Who knows? What <laughs> in your spare time, <laughs> Ali, back for back for your third appearance. The who scored hat trick ball will be in the post. Are, are you okay? Really well. Yeah. Since I last saw you, Dan, I've been in Derby. Uh, Derby, that's about no. it. Uh, saw them beat Exeter 2 0 on Tuesday night. A much needed win for them. Uh, Exeter, f- six defeats in a row in League One. They were, they were top of the league into the first international break, and now they are around 20th and possibly going to get relegated. Football. <laughs> Yeah, that's the one. I've been to I've been to Villa Park, so I ventured really far since since I last saw you. I went to Villa Park on Sunday to watch Villa demolish West Ham. Excellent stuff. Aston Villa absolutely flying at the moment. But let's talk about Manchester United v Man City. And Jonathan, we're going to start with Harry Maguire. Some interesting stats have emerged from Harry Maguire's last eight starts. That's eight league wins in a row when he has started. But he hasn't faced a big six team in 18 months. The last time he played a big six team or so-called big six team, I don't really think that's a thing anymore. It was a 4-0 defeat at Anfield. Scored the winner in the Champions League in in, in midweek. Turning turning it around a little bit, Harry Maguire? Well, I think what has turned around is that he'd, he'd become one of those players to whom unfortunate things happen. And I think that that's one of those... I mean, partly it's just you get in rotten runs of luck. And I think to an extent it's it's self-perpetuating because as your confidence drops, you're more likely to do things that will lead you to make mistakes. And, and I think he's pulled out of that. I think in in that sense, yeah, it doesn't really matter if he scores goals or not. That's not what he's there for. But scoring that goal and such an important goal on Tuesday, that is a huge boost to his confidence. And and, and so from that point of view, uh, yeah, I, I guess he you know he is on the up. Do I think long-term is the answer to United's problems? No, clearly not. But, yeah, he might quite fancy the idea of, of stifling Holland on on uh, on Sunday. Um, City, without De Bruyne, don't play as many balls in behind as, as they were last season. Um, so maybe it will be a more physical battle. And, and Maguire in a physical battle, you'd... I mean, maybe he wouldn't back him against Holland, but he'd have as good a chance as anybody. Bearing in mind, he hasn't played against so-called big six opposition in so long, Ali. 
Will he fancy his chances against Haaland, do you think? I feel like if there's one thing we know about professional sports people is that they back themselves in almost every situation. And that's probably a reason why they they get to where they get to uh, and the rest of us sort of fall away. But uh, I mean, realistically, I don't think many centre-backs would fancy playing against Holland because of the, the threat that he offers. I think Maguire specifically is comfortable with defending players that he can reach, <laughs> players close to him, defending his box, still very strong in, in duels uh, aerially, but, you know, and, and getting tight or when he can be tight to attackers, I, I don't think he will be fancying defending Haaland outside the box, defending Haaland when there's any sort of space. And and this is kind of the thing with Maguire where he's playing okay at the moment. Um, I think there's a scenario where if he doesn't make any huge mistakes, then he can start rebuilding uh, a reputation at United like Jonathan long-term, don't see him being their their centre back long term, but they play a style in in generally that makes it hard for their centre backs not to be exposed to a certain extent and not to make mistakes. So, been a good few weeks. Uh, this is a, a huge, huge test for him, and I think we all know what the narrative will be if Holland scores and Maguire's nowhere to be seen. And you know the narrative stuff's all a bit tedious, but on a footballing level, it's it's an interesting matchup. Yeah, should Manchester United be? A little bit worried overall, Jonathan. They've not got off to the best start in the Premier League. I watched them in the Champions League mid midweek, and I thought they were second best. In, in all honesty, I thought Copenhagen had the better game plan and actually had an identity and had a better start. And that's the problem I have when I watch Manchester United. So many teams now, I think they've got the perfect manager. They've got an identity at the top end of the Premier League. I still watch Manchester United, and I don't really know what they are. And the fact that in recent weeks, you know, McTominay has been the hero, Maguire has been the hero. That just that doesn't feel Dallas. sustainable to me. Yeah, it, it, all these things don't feel sustainable. They lost that game at Palace, and then the three games since then, they needed two injury time goals to beat Brentford, who, who Brentford were not having a, a good season. They needed a last minute goal to beat Sheffield United, who have been awful this season, and they they got away with it against Copenhagen. It, I agree with you. I think Copenhagen were the better side, and Anana makes the penalty save, but also that other save in the second half that gets them the win. So. It feels like they've they've used up a lot of heroics and a lot of drama in the last three games to nick wins against teams that really they should be beating quite comfortably. Now it may be that that is that is how you turn the corner that 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 boost is what what gives them a springboard. But I don't really look at that side and think, yeah, this, this is this is what Ten Hag's envisaged. And that 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 I think is the oddity that you'd have thought by this stage he's had three transfer windows, he spent a lot of money. And yet the players who are getting them out of jail, Maguire, Dallas, McTominay, the, the old guards, and certainly Maguire and McTominay, he's, he's been trying to shuffle on. You know, he's, he's been quite clear he doesn't, doesn't want them at the club anymore. I, so I still broadly think that, that Ten Hag is, is the right manager. Um, I think last season he was very impressive in quite difficult circumstances. I think he did a lot of the, the, the hard work. I mean, getting rid of Ronaldo, for instance, was something that had to be done. I think he did that pretty well did that sort of as, as bloodlessly as, as was possible. And I could sort of last see, I could sort of see that, you know, you, you, you could see this sort of cold-eyed, ruthless leader who seemed to know what he was aiming at. And this season, that seems to have fallen away. And, and uh, the questions, the big question for me is the signings that he's made that are clearly his signings. So Anthony, a huge fee, has done very, very little. Mm. Lissandra Martinez, I mean, good season last season with odd little worries this season before the injury had been pretty poor um Anana you know obviously great game on Tuesday but 
has had not had an easy start. And again, a pretty big fee. So that that would be my concern. The the the, the recruitment that he's been responsible for, and, and his the agency that represents him has has seems to have had quite a lot of sway in the last uh, fifteen months or so. Are they really getting the players they need? And are they getting them at competitive prices? And and that would be the doubt. And so when as and when the Jim Radcliffe um, investment happens, and Radcliffe, if he does take over the football side of things, yeah, you know, we know that that his niece team tried to appoint Ten Hag. That that he's sort of you know long term, uh, he's a respect of Ten Hag. But I think that is a question he's got to ask: is how impressed are is he by what what Ten Hag's done? And does he believe that is the future, or does he want to make a you know a quick kill there and then and, and move on to somebody else? Yeah, kind of in the same vein, Ali. Like Liverpool, Manchester City, and Arsenal. I know what they are, but their managers have have been there for for longer, a long time, all, all three of them now. So Manchester United fans would would probably point point at that. But then there's Brighton, Villa, Spurs. The managers have all been there less time, and they've all managed to implement what they want to do straight away. Why hasn't that been able to, to happen at Manchester United? Because it, it does just look like a collection of, of players thrown together. And in some ways, it is because this is what always happens. You have managers from multiple regimes and end up in, in the same team. But those three manage, those three teams that I've just mentioned, the managers have managed to embrace that and take that on board. And I get that there's less pressure at those clubs than, than there is at Manchester United. But like Jonathan says, for the money they have spent on transfer fees to get players in, I would just expect more than than what I've seen so far far this season. Mason Mount's come in mm-hmm. for a hell of a lot of money, and on the face of it, now the way the, the way Ten Hag's feeling he has to play, there is no place for him in that team at all. And it, I just look at so many things in Manchester United; it just nothing makes sense to me. Right? Yeah, I can't disagree, and I think the Mount example probably sums up what I consider to be the the widest issue, which is uh, the decision-making is poor. Uh, And the teams that you reference as looking like they play with a clear philosophy and recruit towards it comes down to those generally above manager level or head coach level having a very clear-minded approach and really targeting certain players to play certain roles and understanding how to build squads so that if a certain player is injured, it's not a massive issue. And you know, with Mount, I think he's an exceptional player. I don't think that the two years he had at Chelsea in which he was their best player when they won the Champions League should be sort of overlooked because he's had a, a subsequent difficult two going on almost two and a half, three years now. Even so, I, I look at the, the team at the moment, and I don't necessarily know where he's meant to play, where they no. signed him with the idea of him playing, right? Because his fit with Bruno is awkward, I believe. Uh, he's not someone like Anthony and Rashford who's uh, going to give you 1v1 ability on in, in wide areas. So, yeah, very, very awkward and, and kind of uh, sums it all up, I'd say. Uh, I, I, was asked, I was asked this question the other day. Uh, who is the last midfielder United signed who has been really successful? And by really successful, you say they sort of had three good years at the club. You have to go back a long, long way. Roy Keane. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I flippantly said Roy Keane... When, when I was first asked, Carrick, the Michael, the most Ma- one I can think of. Michael Carrick is the one I concluded is. Yeah, yeah. Really I mean, like maybe that. maybe that's a little bit harsh on Owen Hargreaves, which is only a year difference anyway. He's but, always yeah. injured. He was always injured, but wasn't he? So Carrick is 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 the last really yeah last midfield that they signed. You would say has been a real real success. Um, and you look at Casemiro last season. Casemiro had a reasonably good season last season, but even that is a symptom of of the problem there that. They signed Casemiro, they signed uh, Rafael Ferran, 
both clearly very, very, very good players. Both players who, on their day, are still excellent. But they're expensive 30-somethings who are on the way down, who are going to have to be phased out. And they were signed as short-term patches to cover over the fact that there's long-term problems there, that they haven't got the recruitment right before. Hmm. The worrying thing there would be, you know, Real Madrid hold on to players well, well into their 30s. You know, you look at Modric and Crows over over the last few years, still, still going strong for Real Madrid, although... Gradually, their kind of role has changed. Probably this season, actually, Modric's role has, has definitely changed this year. You know, if they're all there, Casemiro and Varane, for want, for want of a better phrase, I don't think Real Madrid sell them yeah. to Manchester United. I, I think that's completely true. And I think, think that, that was my big worry when Casemiro signs. Hang on, he's only 30. What, what do Real Madrid know? Because mm. yeah, Modric, <laughs> yeah. Modric is, what, what is he, 38? 38, yeah. yeah 38. Age, 38. So, you know... Right up to last season, he was still a regular. So they don't, they, they're not, they're not afraid to play a 37 year old. Um, yeah. so Casemiro, you'd have hoped, I mean, okay, different body shape to, to Modric, slightly different role, but you'd have thought they could have got four or five more years out of him unless they had concerns. And I think possibly this season we start to understand what those, those concerns were. Yeah, I mean, I, in the summer, I liked the goalkeeper signing Anana. I thought that would really help them so far, it possibly hasn't helped them massively other than other than Tuesday. And I, I like Mason Mount as a player, so I thought oh, they, they must have a plan for him, but they don't. I think Hoyland will, will be, become a good player. But even like, is Amrabat any better than Fred, Ali, realistically? Is he? <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll plead the fifth on this one only because it's only been a couple of appearances in the United shirt. He always, to me, he always looks good. Like he's aesthetically, he's a pleasing player. I find, and of course, he 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 looked great in the World Cup as well. That's probably my my other sort of key experience of him. So I, I'm going to say too early to say on that front. But I think McTominay's role recently. I'm going to say he's not good enough. No, he'd be fine as a squad player. But why would you bring somebody like that in? It's just pointless. It's 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 a hole they needed to fill. He's perfectly adequate to fill that hole. He's not a long-term Manchester United midfielder. That's what I'm saying. It's another you know, short-term Fred, Fred could have done that job. I never thought Fred and McTominay were bad yeah. players. I just thought the problem was that they were playing together every single week. That was the problem. They were fine as players who yeah, were coming no, much, much in the mould that Nicky Butt used to. Darren Fletcher, I'm showing my age, go, going back here. You know, it was when those players used to come in and play, play the odd game, it worked. It was very good. And I thought, oh, McTominay and, and Fred can do that. You know, like you said, they tried to shift McTominay in the, in, in the yeah. summer. Fred, Fred's gone. It's just they do have no strategy, and I do think that does come from the problems that are over over the top of the manager. So in in that respect, you know, you got to feel sorry for Ten Hag. He did well to get them where where he got them last season. But you know, Casemiro, they wanted De Jong all summer. They're completely different players. So it's almost like the manager's just having to compromise because of the the state of the football club, Jonathan. Yeah, I, know, I, th- I think that's completely true. That that. It was always going to be a period of transition because they they had the, you know as you said they had this cobbled together squad put together by four or five different managers and and no sort of overarching strategy and the strategy if there was one you know there was that season where they suddenly oh we're going to sign young players and they signed Dan James and a couple of other uh, younger players and then so six months later oh, actually they're not good enough we're going to sell them on and and there was, there's you know there's, if 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 your policy is oh we're going to sign young players. That that has to have four, five, six years to work, and you need to do it not as Chelsea have done it by signing thirty of them at once, but by slowly filtering it through. So it's it's just been a a totally chaotic um, environment for such a long time. But it will take somebody with a really big personality, whether that's on the sporting director side, whether that's on the on the managerial side, or ideally together. 
but but there's just such a lack of expertise at the club. So for Ten Hag, I mean, he had, after two games last season, his first two games last season, he lost to Brighton and got hammered by Brentford. Yeah, he completely changed how he wanted to play. Yeah, he stopped playing out from the back. He realised that De Gea couldn't do that. And I see there's rumours now De Gea could come back, which is... <laughs> that can't happen. That, that would I be mean, just... That'd be peak Manchester United. Why are you appointing Ten Hag, a, a manager who's very noted for playing a particular style of football, to, to oversee a squad... That can't play that style of football. Okay, you think maybe what? Maybe it'll take a year, maybe three transfer windows, and he can have his players in place. And yet, whether because of the players he signed, whether because the the sort of rot at the club is just so endemic, it just it just hasn't worked. And then you get you know, we haven't even mentioned it, but at most clubs, Sancho would be the biggest issue. How can you have a seventy one million pound talent who has just been frozen out for reasons that still nobody? as far as I can work out, fully understands what's going on there. I don't know. These, these things can change quickly, but... Yeah, they can. I, 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 I see very little sign of it yet. Yeah, football does change quickly. We said, said last week that, you know, two years ago, Chelsea v Arsenal. Chelsea looked in a really good place, just won the Champions League, and Arsenal looked like they didn't have a clue. Then the fixture was last week, and you kind of think, think the opposite. Arsenal are, are going really well, and Chelsea still trying to work out what they're doing, building gradually, obviously. This, this season, but let's talk about that team of thugs, Manchester City Alley. <laughs> Wish they'd start playing some football, honestly. 19 yellow cards and two reds in nine games. Last season, it was 45 cards overall, so 44 yellows and, and one red. Why are they so dirty this season? Dirty Manchester City. Yeah, interesting one, this. I, I think bit of a boring way to start but i think the slight change in the in the threshold or the discipline rules has probably played yeah, a factor yeah. a that's lot valid. of the a lot of the type of things that often get labeled dark arts that manchester city and pep guardiola um project and have done for a long time are, are possibly being uh punished more strongly this season i say that because they're not committing more fouls per game i looked on who scored yesterday that they are not committing more fouls therefore either the fouls they are committing are worse seems unlikely that it's broadly the same group of players and the same manager or they're being punished harder for the fouls that they're committing um or they are committing more dissent uh, and things of that nature so I, I i sort of you know akanji's one of the two red cards right akanji was was last weekend his second yellow is not bad discipline it was I reckon a a crucial decision that he made that helped stop an attack that looked quite dangerous. If he'd been rolled by uh, the Brighton attacker right at the end of the game, when they're leading by one goal, they're in big trouble. And these are the sorts of cynical fouls, professional fouls, whatever you want to call them, that uh, that they've been doing for a long time. So I I don't know to what extent is poor discipline. I think um, a a mixture of just not getting away with it as much. Um, And yeah, on that, exact example i think pep was probably quite happy with the kanji getting booked and, and picking up another yellow card and being sent off because they were in trouble if he if he'd been rolled and lost his man i mean you've hit the nail on the head there to be fair let's just end end the podcast there probably don't need, don't need to carry on because a kanji wearing that number 25 shirt last last where well, he wears it every week but like last week's very reminiscent of fernandinho the, the kind of things that he did but you're right the threshold fernandinho used to get away with that every week and then he passed his knowledge down to, to Rodri. Rodri's already been been sent off this, this season. So yeah, maybe it's it's the threshold and all those little things that they do. Rodri's red card was for grabbing Morgan Gibbs White, wasn't it? So that that was a yeah, that was a bit of a rush of blood. I I I think there's other times when he got away with it. It wasn't it wasn't that bad, but it, that that was a loss of discipline. But 
one player once. I don't think it's enough to say there's some kind of... Yeah, they're not Arsenal of 20 years ago. No, I, I remember a game at Villa Park a few years ago, Rodri and Fernandinho. They were experts at avoiding bookings. I, I don't know how. I don't know how they did it. They, they, they had it down to down to a T. And I think one of them got booked in like the 80th minute or something. But it should have been booked a lot earlier. They, they did have that kind of thing that down to a T. But the rules have changed. The thresholds have changed. And maybe that has played a part. Let's talk about Jeremy Doku, Jonathan. Is he uh, an upgrade on what Manchester City have had in, in those positions previously? It's a bit of a throwback to kind of the way Sterling and Sane play, played on the wing. Are we seeing another evolution of a of a Pep side of him trying, trying to change the way they build up? Well, we might be seeing an evolution. Um, I think he's a lot more direct than... Uh, maybe not more direct than Sane, but I think he's more direct than Sterling. Yeah, Guardiola's always had this thing where he, he wants you to well, he wants the team to have 15 passes in any move so they can get set to deal with a potential counter of possessions lost. And you saw how he you know he reprogrammed Grealish to fit in with that. And Grealish last season, I thought tactically was was excellent. And Grealish has, has spoken very intelligently about that. Doku doesn't do any of that. Doku just <laughs> runs. And he's been brilliant, you know, that, that little swerve, the you know, the 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 slowdown and acceleration to beat was it Igor Julio? Igor Julio, sorry, to for the Alvarez goal last week. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's it's so simple, but it's absolutely devastating. It's brilliant to watch. And, you know, he scored the, the vital goal, the equaliser against West Ham. He got another goal against Leipzig. You know, he's 21. He's never played at a club better than Wren before. It's a, it's a brilliant, brilliant start. But you do slightly wonder what, what's going on with Grealish. Why is Grealish not getting the game? I know he had the injury earlier in the season, but he's not injured now. Uh, the two of them playing together last night... I don't think look particularly. I mean, it's one game, but I, 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 yeah, the balance that doesn't doesn't naturally strike you as a as a Guardiola balance. So I, I do, you do wonder if Grealish is looking at that, thinking, well, "Hang on, I had to completely change how I played, yeah, and he's just doing time. what I used to do." So you, I mean, if you compare Grealish's stats last season to Doku's this, uh, Doku he's had eight point four, eight point four two take ons per game this season. Grealish only had four point eight two last season. Now Doku's completion rate or success rate in dribbles is slightly higher than Grealish's was. But it, even with that, he loses the ball twice as often as Grealish did. Uh, Grealish, uh, I haven't got the stat in front of me, but I think I think he, he averaged 39 point something passes per game last season or passes per 90. Uh, Doku's is 31 point something. And Grealish's completion rate, I think it's 84% to 78%. So Grealish was keeping the ball a lot better. And that's what Guardiola has historically always wanted. So you, you do wonder what's is he just blooding Doku now? Is it because he sort of thinks, oh, well, you know, this stage of the season, it's a, it's a good chance to do it, build this confidence up. Maybe at the same time, slightly sort of warning Grealish after his um, uh, his very enthusiastic celebration, shall we say, of a treble that you know you, you you're not guaranteed your place in this team. Maybe it is just that, but it, if if this directness is is part of the plan. Then, then it is a change. And I think also if you look at the stats, opponents have attacked down the city, the city left, the opponent's right, way, way, way more than through the centre or the other side this season, suggesting the targeting the the fullback, be that uh, Guardiola or Ake. So I mean, if you remember the Wolves game and um, uh, Neto yeah. ran and ran and ran at Ake, because nobody was checking him out with pitch, he was able to do that. And I, th- I think he, some ridiculous statistic, like he advanced the ball 215 meters in that game, which is a ludicrous figure. You know, 130 is high, 215 is 
is exceptional. So I, I think there is a structural issue there, and that possibly is why City have been a little bit stodgy. I mean, yeah, by reasonable standards, they've been <clears> great, <throat> but by their own standards, slightly stodgy. Uh, they've only scored 19 goals in in the nine games of the season. They had 33 at this stage last season. We've got the who scored stats here. I've got the, got, got them in front of me. The only metric from Grealish's appearances last season to Doku's this season, the only metric Grealish is apparently better at is, is key passes per 90. Goals, assists, shots, conversion rate and dribbles per 90. Doku comes out in top. Now, it's a small sam- smaller sample size for Doku. It's, well, it's also it's the, those, those, those stats don't tell you about the knock-on effect to the rest of the team. They tell mm. you about that individual. But I think if you're looking at the Guardiola team, you've got to look holistically, you've got to look at the whole. Yeah, I mean, you're right on Grealish. Tactically, he was brilliant last season. Not the same swashbuckling player that I would have watched for years at, at Villa, but tactically, he'd improved and he'd done well to adapt his game to kind of do what Pep wants. But Ali, on, on the face of it, you know, those things that Doku is doing, mm. Jack Grealish can do, but it's almost like he's not allowed to when he plays for Manchester City. Yeah, it's quite sad, really. Um, I think a, an <clears> aspect <throat> to this is that when Grealish uh, was at his best for Villa, you know, he, he was doing things that were just so wonderful to watch, and not just for you, Dan, but even for the neutrals as yeah. well. And... Everyone's favourite player, essentially, outside of their own team, wasn't it? Right, but I think there's probably a kind of, not to get too in the weeds, I'm, I'm, I'm no psychologist, but there's probably something in our brains where we're, we're expecting to see a certain thing. We're not seeing it anymore. We don't like that. We want to see Grealish uh, carrying the ball with such vim and vigour as he used to. And and for whatever reason, he, he barely dribbles now compared to uh, a couple of years ago. So, of course, that's tactical. That is based on instructions. There could be something more in terms of the sports science side, the physical side. He has played a lot of football. Uh, he's probably sort of a, ahead of the curve for his age in terms of minutes played, certainly in terms of how many times he's been booted up in the air. So, um, you know, battered it, in the championship. <clears throat> every, every yeah, I, I, you know, having said that, he, he is a very imposing physical specimen now compared to what he was before. So sometimes getting stronger uh, in terms of upper body and bulkier also has an effect on your agility and your, your balance and things like that. So uh, who, who really knows? It's a bit sad, but at least we get to watch Doku because he's doing the things that generally are entertaining to watch. He's, he's kind of the, uh, the puppy, isn't he, of the Man City team where he's just doing everything at a million miles an hour, not seemingly thinking too much about the consequences and, has, and it hasn't been trained out of him yet. Yeah, seems seems to be allowed to do that. Pep seems quite quite content with, with what Doku's doing because if he wasn't, he he basically just wouldn't pick him because that's how Pep operates. Just lastly on the on the on the Gradish thing, Jonathan, you saying that he's out of the team at the moment, which, which he is. I guess this is just the kind of thing that that Pep does. Gradish's first season, he spent long spells out of the team. Foden had a massive patch where he wasn't really getting game games last season, and now this season he's back in favour. It's almost like. This is how Pep manages his players. He'll keep them out for an extended period of time and then at some point they'll come back in and, and be really, really hungry and try and try and prove him wrong. It's almost a, an aspect of his management. He's done it with Sterling, I think, in the, in, in the past as well and even Sana. This is, this is just what he does with players. Yeah, and, and then the players who don't like it, like Cancelo, end up getting getting sold. So, I mean, I, I, I get the impression that, that Guardiola was not particularly happy with how Grealish celebrated the treble. I think he he felt that was not a particularly professional approach. Yeah. Guardiola's idea of a good time is pretending to smoke a cigar and having, <laughs> you know, a, a thimbleful of beer at Oktoberfest. You know, he, he's he's not a hedonist. And 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 maybe maybe he sort of thinks it's 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 not the worst thing to get Doku involved early 
Um, I think the fixture list has been quite interesting for City as well. That they had a pretty, and I know they played Newcastle second game, was it? A second or third game. So, so that was a difficult game. But that aside, they had a pretty gentle start. Um, and it's only really now that it's starting to get into the the tough games. So, so maybe he just sort of saw that as a chance to yeah to get get Doku playing when he could play with a bit of freedom. Because I, I I just can't see that when it comes to games against you know, against Liverpool against you know, big Champions League games hmm. that like, uh, yeah, that he's he's going to be using Doku in in that way. I think I think he'll want the control. No, it'd be interesting to see how that how that story develops. Grealish is too good a player to, to be sitting on the bench every single week. You go, but then so Docker, so is Foden. This is just this is just Manchester City. Bernardo Silva. This this is just what Manchester City are. Let's have a quick look at the Manchester Derby combined eleven. Then Jonathan, I don't know whether you've seen this or Ali. Have either of you seen this com- combined eleven? No? Have a Hit guess me. how many Manchester United players have made the who scored combined eleven? Three, three. Ali, two, two. Jonathan, you are correct. Three Manchester United players. Can you can you guess the three? Uh, Bruno Fernandes. Correct. Dalot. Re- correct again. They've massively overprioritised people who've scored goals. Maguire. Incorrect. <sighs> Hello. Chance to, to come back into the game. Onana. Correct. There you go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But between you, you've got the three. So it's a it's a legacy who scored four four two here with a Nana in goal with what feels like quite a low rating of six point seven seven one. I'm not sure how Edison's is, is is lower than that this season. Back four of Dallo, Diaz, Ake, and Gvardiol. We've got Foden, Fernandez, Rodri, and Doku in midfield, and then it's Haaland and Alvarez as the as the as the front two there. So yeah. Not, it wouldn't be the team I'd pick, but this is what this is what who scored have come come up with. I've spent a long time on the on the Manchester derby this week. My fault managing managing the minutes really really poorly. There, let's have our predictions for this week. Ali, who's been boosting George up the league, they've become a duo in the in the predictions now. What's what's your prediction for this one? One nil to Man City for me. This one nil to Manchester City. I've gone for two nil to Manchester City. Just Manchester United going forward. Just don't look like they've got a plan to me and against Manchester City. I, I don't think I managed to, to conjure up much. Jonathan, who you know, in in fairness, Sam's dragging you down with the prediction. Oh, awful. Two uh, one to City. Two one to City. So a clean sweep for Manchester City. Unsurprisingly, let's do the do the rest of our predictions before we look at Wolves against Newcastle. Then, so Palace against Tottenham. Jonathan, one uh, nil Spurs. One nil to Spurs. I've gone for Palace one, Tottenham one. I think this would be a t- Tottenham dropping point. Surprisingly, Ali. Two nil to Tottenham. 2-0 to Tottenham. Chelsea v Brentford, Alla. I'm going to this game. I think it's going to be 2-1 to Chelsea. I've gone for 2-1 to Brentford. Really mixing up my predictions this week. Jonathan? Uh, 1-0 to Chelsea. 1-0 to Chelsea. Bournemouth v Burnley, Jonathan? 1-0 to Bournemouth. 1-0 to Bournemouth. I've gone for 1-1, Alla. Yeah, 1-1 draw for me. 1-1 as well. Arsenal v Sheffield United, Alla. 4-0 to Arsenal. 4-0 to Arsenal. I've gone 3-0 to Arsenal. Jonathan? Also 3-0 to Arsenal. 3-0. We'll come on to Wolves and Newcastle later. West Ham against Everton, Jonathan? 2-1 to West Ham. 2-1 West Ham. I've gone 1-1. Ali? Yeah, 1-1 as well. That's annoying. One, We've done the same twice now. Two one ones together. Stop copying me. I know I got my predictions in first. <laughs> uh, Liverpool against Forest, Ali? 3-0 Liverpool. Bloody hell. 3-0 Liverpool as well. Jonathan? 2-0 Liverpool. 2-0 Liverpool. The big one, Jonathan, Villa against Luton. 2-0 to Villa. Yep, 2-0 to Villa here as well. Ali? 3-1 Villa. Uh, Brighton against Fulham, Ali? 2-0 Brighton. 
2-0 Brighton. I've gone for 3-1 to Brighton. Jonathan? 2-1 to Brighton. 2-1 to Brighton. Finally, a little bit of a, a mixed bag in the predictions there with, with, with the last one. And, of course, we've already done our Manchester United and Manchester City predictions. Let's talk about Wolves v Newcastle then, Jonathan. Unfortunate defeat for Newcastle last night. I thought in large periods they were they were pretty good. You know, they're coming up against a team that's got a multitude of Champions League experience c- compared to the players that are on the pitch for them, really. I thought they, thought they were unfortunate, but these things happen, I guess, is they're going to lose games at, at points Newcastle. They've still, I'd say, got off to a decent start in that group. Oh, yeah. I mean, and the, the performance was perfectly good. Uh, you know, hit the bar twice. You know, they, they get done on the break. I mean, the way they conceded the goal, it's a classic a classic game where 30 years ago people would talk about, oh, the English team getting sort of picked off by the wilier continents. It's not that at all. They just got a bit unlucky. You know, they, they, they played perfectly well, got done on the break, it happens. And, and Dortmund have the quality that maybe a lower Premier League team doesn't have to, to hit them on the break when they have that level of, of possession in the opposition half. So I, I, I think... I think the result, or maybe not even the result, but the performance that has been weakest in the Champions League group, the performance that might sort of be the one that means they don't qualify for the next phase, is that goal that's drawing Milan. I thought they were extraordinarily cautious in that game. And don't you think that's a good result, nil-nil away from home at Milan? Well, it's not a bad result, but I just I think the, the way Milan were at the time, um, the fact that they'd been hammered in the derby, I, I think they were there, they were there to be got at. And um, Newcastle, I think, were a bit over cagey. But they were brilliant against PSG. And I don't know. I don't know what, what Newcastle's expectations of the Champions League are. Um, if it's to have some brilliant nights, well, they've hammered PSG. And that's that's a, one of those games, one of those results that's going to resonate for, you know, unless they have extraordinary success in the next 20 years. But even then, it's the start of this era. So in the same way that the Espria hat-trick <clears throat> resonates, that, that, that performance will resonate. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, you know that was a that was a real throwback performance to to Newcastle back in the day against Barcelona. I felt Ali watching them last night in that type of game. I mean, to be fair, we should be previewing the Wolves game, but I feel like the the Champions League performance last last night was relevant. Can't go into the intricacies of of what Tony Ali's. Uh, Tonali, are we talking about Strictly Come Dancing here? Tonali has, has done, but you know, he's been on the bench the last couple of games. But in that game last night, I felt like from the start, he was the kind of player that they were lacking in, in that midfield to break down a resolute Dortmund. Yeah, I mean, they had the majority of the ball, didn't they? So, you know, you 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 want uh your best ball progresses in the in the defensive middle third, and you want the guys that are going to be able to uh, you know, loft one over the top to an on-rushing fullback or or a wide player, whatever it might be. Th- those are the skills that Tonali has. You know, broadly, the central midfield hasn't been an issue for them with or without Tonali this season. I think the likes of Longstaff and Joel Linton, um, you know, have have performed pretty well in general, haven't they? So yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, his his absence is going to hit them hard because he was clearly someone that they went after specifically in the summer to make them better. So if he's not around, then that that's going to not make them better. But I guess one thing, you know, you'll have watched a lot of these players. I know you, you cover the EFL quite quite heavily, Ali. Is he's made squad players better, Ed, Eddie Howe. And again, you know, we talk about Manchester United. I think it comes from having a, a defined system and, and and knowing what they want to do. And actually, I missed Newcastle out earlier when I was was talking about the teams <laughs> ahead of Manchester United. You know, the likes of Murphy, Lascelles, Wilson and Longstaff. I mean, it would be, be harsh to call Wilson the squad player because I don't think he is, and probably Longstaff, actually. But now, when these players come in, generally they perform to a level that we've not seen them perform to in the Premier League before. Yeah, it's amazing. I, for me, 
it's the most impressive thing in football management is when someone achieves what Eddie Howe has done, not necessarily a complete control in tactical terms, uh, not necessarily turning a, an amazing team into a fully dominant team, but in uh, taking what you are given when you arrive at a club in the main and raising the level significantly of the individuals and of, of the collective, um, you know, Broadly, a great way to approach football tactics is to look at the squad that you have and to build a system where the players suit it. They understand their jobs, their weaknesses are hidden and their strengths are kind of, um, you know, uh, heightened. Uh, and I think you have to say he's done that with a lot, a lot of the players that you mentioned. So it's incredibly impressive to take players who we all remember the sorts of clickbait articles being written when the takeover happened about Mbappe and 10 players, Newcastle United Salah. will sign with billions of pounds. Well, actually, the players that have taken them to an incredible level, not just Champions League finishing top four, but the performances as well, which are so strong, are, are the players that everyone thought would be jettisoned, or many of them anyway. And, and that is, for me, the, the best thing that a manager can do, really, in, in the modern game in particular, where recruitment is, is not generally their remit, um, unlike the old days. Yeah, I mean... Anthony Gordon's having a having a great start to the season as, as well. Jonathan Otta, he looked their best player last night to, to me as well. He's fourth in the Who Scored foot form rankings. I know you hate this kind of question, and I'm I'm, I'm a little bit with you, but it's in the script. I'm going to going to give it to you. If he sustains this form, can he break into into the England squad? Yeah, he must be, he must be in the reckoning, but it's an area where England are very strong. And Gareth Southgate has proved over and over again <clears> that <throat> he likes to keep his squad as stable as possible. Yeah, and. England have a lot of really good wide attacking players. So if, if, if Anthony Gordon maintains this form, then yeah, he's, he's clearly knocking on the door. England can probably take five of that type of player if, in a 26-man squad. Um, Do we know whether it's 26 or 23 yet? Do we not know at this point? I think it's now 26 because of the five subs, isn't it? Possibly. I think, I've got any uh, idea. Yeah, you might, you might be right. I don't know. But I think the fact they've gone to 26, I doubt they'll go back. But, you know, okay, Saka, Foden, Grealish, uh, there's one other who I'm not thinking of. Rashford, yeah. They're, they're, they're the sort of first choice four. If Sterling carries on his form, yeah, he's got to be in with a shout. Mm. I suspect what happened at the World Cup when, when he went, went home for the last 16 game and came back, the way Southgate's treated him since makes you think Southgate wasn't overly impressed by that, which maybe means he looked for the younger option. I guess but Madison's then, uh, the fifth one of those players at the moment because he can kind of cover multiple. Uh, and Madison can play centrally um, as well, yeah, which, yeah. which is very useful. Bowen was in the last squad as well. Yeah, Bowen. Yeah, I think sort of wide forward type. Pretty yeah. ordinary. I mean, yeah, he's having a great season, but compared to those others, I think he's he you know, he's he's pretty ordinary. Um, yeah, ordinary is a bad word. So he's he's not he's not quite at the same level as them. No, I guess it would. Ta- maybe he's the next cab off off the rank if there is an injury. If Rashford, for example, was to miss the Euros. Maybe well, probably I, I, then be a yeah. place for Anthony Gordon, direct run. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I think even if Rashford's form remains poor, and, it, and Rashford actually played pretty well against Italy, so you know, his yeah. international form has been fine. Uh, but he is a slightly different type of player because he is a goal scorer. You know, he, he does give you that directness. Uh, and the danger when if you pack your, your team with these sort of gifted technical wide forwards is they don't bring enough goals. Uh, Rashford, I guess... Gives you, you know, he. I, I, at the minute, you assume it would be Kane and Watkins as the two centre forwards. Uh, he gives you cover for that position as well, in extremis. So, yeah. I, I think for Gordon to displace Rashford would would be pretty hard, assuming fitness. But, 
But yeah, if if a couple of them are injured, then, then he would seem to be the logical choice. Yeah, let's talk about Wolves then, Ali. What have you made of them so far this season? I've got to say, I've been quite impressed with with Wolves and and, and Gary O'Neill in in recent weeks. I haven't actually watched the Monday Night Football Masterclass from Gary O'Neill that apparently was on television either. So I've not been influenced like that. I'm usually very heavily influenced by <laughs> by that by that kind of thing. But you know, Wolves are making a decent fist of it. And I, you know, I went to Molyneux a few weeks ago when 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 Villa played there. This is a it's a real tough place to go, Molyneux. One of the toughest in the Premier League, I would say. Yeah, I, I think they are certainly making a decent fist of it. This is a a team who, for the last few years, have uh, survived and not a lot more, I would say. Uh, in particular, as an attacking team, they've been among the worst in the Premier League for a long time. So uh, at the moment, they do look like they've improved going forward. Um, they've scored in every game this season, apart from that opening game against Manchester United, which most people watched because it was one of the first televised games of the season. And everyone scored. left very impressed with Wolves and they and they could and should have scored. So yeah, I think they're doing okay. That The bigger issue is uh, the inverse of last season. They're scoring more, but it's come at the cost of, of their defensive record. So they're not really keeping clean sheets. Uh, and that will be a concern if, uh, for example, Pedro Neto was to get injured. Then, you know, given what um, uh, Jonathan said about the the value that he's offering in terms of carrying the ball up the pitch, because they they do look like a sort of transition first team. Um, you know, he's not the only good performer. I think Cunha's looked pretty good. Um, Kalajic has scored a couple of goals in about 60 minutes of football and, and could come on um, in the next few weeks as he gets back up to speed. Uh and uh, yeah, I, I think you have to be pretty impressed. They've they've played five away games and four at home. The four home games, all against current top seven teams. Um, their away games, they lost to United and Palace, but otherwise beating Everton, beating Bournemouth and drawing with Luton. So uh, certainly above what I expected so far uh, from them this season. Yeah, I had them in the bottom three because I just quite simply couldn't see how they were, were going to score any goals, but they've made me look silly as, as normal, as usually happens with me and my, my, my predictions. Jonathan, you've already spoken about Pedro Neto a, a little bit earlier on in the in, in the pod. The Wolves are unbeaten in, in four now. Neto is an incredibly high-level, dangerous footballer, isn't he? Really good. And, and I, I, you know, I think the point Ali makes about the way that uh, Gaino wants to play, that you know, defend fairly deep, attack and transition, he, he's the perfect player for that. Uh, Kladzic as well, you would think, is the perfect centre-forward for that because you can just launch it long and because he's nine foot two or whatever, he will win knockdowns, he will win headers, he will win free kicks. So I, I, I think, I, I, I almost by accident, I think they've, they've come upon uh, a level of coherence that, that you probably wouldn't have expected seeing the sell-off they've had over the last couple of transfer windows. Yeah, Wang's been playing as well. He's a, he's a, he's a very useful player, I would say. We've got a head-to-head here, Neto versus Gordon. The thing that's standing out to me, I, mean, I knew he'd got a few assists, uh, Neto, Jonathan. Six assists in nine games. It's a, it's a hell of a record. Yeah, that's that's very high, and again, it just shows you that that he is their main, the the, the main point of transition between midfield and attack. That he he's the one who carries it, and he's the one who delivers it. Um, but I think he's always been a really good player. It's just he had that injury that kept him out for so long, and and now he's back, and he's he's back to fitness, and and yeah, maybe if he hadn't had the injury, he he would have been moved on by now. Yeah, I mean, he seems to hit the woodwork in every game. I don't know whether that's some recency bias from me because he, he hit the woodwork uh, when I saw him match of the day the other way. But I feel like he hits the woodwork in every game as well. Well, Neto, he feels like quite an unlucky player to me in terms of his goal output. I always feel like he sh- he's unfortunate not, not to score more. Predictions then for this one, Wolves against Newcastle. I have gone for Wolves 1, Newcastle 2. Jonathan? Snap, 2-1, Newcastle. 
You, you know, I'm looking at Ali's face. I'm presuming he's in exactly the same. Yeah, that's right. 2-1 to Newcastle. No jeopardy in that game at all from a, from a predictions perspective. Let's finish with our team in focus section then. And this week, we're going to look at Bournemouth. Ali, except for in trouble, what are Bournemouth? <laughs> uh, Bournemouth are an absolute disaster defensively and completely undermining themselves because of it. Um, I think we've seen some flashes going forward where they've looked fairly dangerous. Uh, they've they've had, because of the relationship between Solanke and Billing in particular, who've been there for quite a few years, I always think that they do have in them some really nice attacks, uh, good passing and movement, and the goal that they scored last weekend was exactly that and, and just looks so slick. But they are incapable at the moment of keeping the opposition uh, from cutting through them and creating not just a lot of shots, but a lot of good shots, a lot of high quality chances. Um, and it's just, you know, that the issue here is that they made a bold call to bring in Iriola, that there was uh, no secret about the way that he was going to approach things. And it was going to be more front footed, a much higher defensive line, much more aggressive in the press. And it's kind of, a, as far as I understand it, a truth of football tactics that if you can implement that style of play and do it well, generally teams like that don't face a huge amount of shots because they're, they are keeping the opposition uh, away from their goal. When you when your defence gets pierced, you do give up pretty good chances because you, you haven't packed the box with defenders. Um, the worst thing you can be is a, is a team with a really high line that are also giving up among the most amount of shots in the league. So, you know, the caveat here is, They've played five of their nine games against Arsenal, Tottenham, Liverpool, Chelsea and Brighton uh, and only three of the games against current bottom half teams. So I, I feel like every time I come on here, I try and say, let's not get let's not go too far in the first chunk of the season. Let's have a look at the fixtures and try and understand a bit more context. Even so, uh, this match is just undeniably huge, isn't it, really? Yeah, in, in Ali Maxwell's world, no one's getting relegated. We've got to look at the put the positive spin on. Our, well, our no, no, no one's getting relegated, but also not everyone has to get sacked straight away. No, that's, no, I completely that's, agree. that's my world. Completely agree. If they, if they sacked him now, I actually think that would show a little bit of cluelessness from the from, from the Bournemouth board, Jonathan. If you've made a, such a big decision, and you know replacing O'Neill with Iriola was a, was a massive call, a massive decision. You've got to back yourselves and stick with it because these things don't just change overnight. Ali's right. I, I, the point about the fixture list is, I think, a really interesting one because. I mean, I remember when um, when Steve Bruce was Sunderland manager, and oh God, my, my condolences, Jonathan. Sunderland were doing really well. They were, I, I think, they, they had like, the game where they, they won three three nil at Stamford Bridge, and then in the space of a week, Darren Bent was sold to, to Villa for twenty odd million. Asmo Jan suddenly decides he wants to move to wherever it was in the Middle East. He moved to ahead of the uh, curve. Asmo Jan, by the way. Really yeah, good. I think Sunderland's next seven fixtures were against the previous season's top six and away at Stoke. They got one point from that, and then suddenly Bruce is finished. And it's, <laughs> hang on, you just lost two centre forwards. You've had a ludicrously hard run of games, but your know, confidence goes, and it's then very hard to get it back because people are talking about crisis, they're talking about problems. And so, even performances aren't that bad if you don't get the result, people are very critical. And you look at their, their, their games this season, the first really bad performance was the, the defeat to, to Everton. 1-1 at home against West Ham. It's fine. The 3-1 defeat to Liverpool. They played pretty well in that game. We could have got something out of it. They put Liverpool under a bit of pressure. Losing 2-0 at Tottenham. 
Well, lots of teams lose to Tottenham. It, it wasn't it, one nil down. They were they were putting pressure on. They, they looked okay. Two two away at Brentford. That, that's a pretty good result. You're going to Brentford's hard. Uh, nil nil at home to Chelsea. It's all right. They could have won that game. I finally yeah. found my soulmate on this show. Yeah. I finally <laughs> found them. <this> <laughs> um, getting beat three one at Brighton. Like lots of teams lose at Brighton, and then they get beat four nil by Arsenal, three nil by Everton, two one by Wolves, and you start to think, oh, hang on. <laughs> Maybe it's just rubbish. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you, you know, he the, railed you the, in Ali, and then he's, he's, he's <laughs> back out. But it, 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 it's you sort of think if if the fixes has been flipped round, would 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 they got a couple of wins? Would they've had a bit more confidence? Um, I mean, you sort of look at what they're trying to do. You know, so, so if you're you know, pressing, is notoriously a very hard thing to measure how well the team presses. But the the, the sort of the rule of thumb stat is the opposition's. Uh, passes per defensive action. So how, how many passes the opposition has before you win the ball back off them? That's gone down 15.7 to 11.8 the, the, from last season to this season. So they're, they're, they're pressing. I mean, and that's not a criticism for Gary O'Neill because that wasn't how they were trying to play. But you see that, yeah, that has improved by nearly 25%, which is pretty impressive. But they're, they're conceding 18 shots a game. Oh, that's a big problem. Mm. And at the same time, while the defence is a big problem... They've only scored is, is it six goals this season, I think, in the league. Uh, one, two, four, five, six goals this season. I think they're very reliant on on Solanke uh, for for both goals and and creativity. I think I think it's eighty percent of those goals he's been involved in either as a scorer or the, or the creator. Well, that makes you very easy to defend against. You sit on Solanke, and what are you going to do? They've, they've been a bit unlucky that two of their midfield signings um, have, have have had injuries. Alex Scott. Made his debut the the game at Wolves, yeah, like um, and, and Tyler Adams is now out till the new year with his hamstring problem. So yeah, the players you bring in to try and help the new manager introduce his style aren't available, which makes it harder. So I think there's all kinds of mitigating factors, but are they now on on a doom spiral that can only be they can only be got out of with a with the blood sacrifice of Ivaiolo? Well, maybe, <laughs> yeah. Um, the footballing well, gods, the, the, they need blood. The, the gods of football need blood. It's true. It's true. I mean, they could do with a win against Burnley. There's no doubt about that because, you know, we're talking about fixtures. The two games after that are Manchester City and, and Newcastle. You know, if they don't they don't get a win in the next three games, suddenly you are looking at them, looking at them and thinking, well, we're into November now and they're in big trouble. So but they must they must have a really easy run through December then. If, if they've got... I mean, we just talked about know. how they've had a really hard fixes. You're, you're saying they've got some hard games coming up? How's that? <laughs> they're all hard games in the, in, the, in the Premier League, aren't they? They're, they're, they're all difficult games. They, they, this they is made play. for somebody to do what Roy Hodgson did at Palace last year and sort of come in with sort of 10 games to go and suddenly win seven of them and be, be lauded as the, you know, the, the, the great, great old master. Well, you've just wow. beaten some low half sides while poor Patrick Vieira has been getting beaten by the teams at the top half. Yeah, well, the relegation picture was, you know, at one point, you know, nine teams looked like they, looked like they could be in trouble. I don't think the Premier League is going to, going to be like that this season. I think it's a, it's a top quality Premier League, actually, especially if you look at some of the top half teams. So it's going to be difficult for Bournemouth. But I think the what we're trying to say here, the crux of the situation is you can't, employ a manager to completely change the style of the football club and then when you get a few bad results get rid of him you have to have to give him time so yeah we've had a little look at Bournemouth the performance against Burnley is massively important Uh, obviously the the focus will be on the result but if they are clearly second best against Burnley in game week 10 that is a massive issue so that's that's what I'll be looking closely at because you know if it wasn't for Cook's straight red at 1-1 last week, 
what what does that game finish? Yeah. Uh, you know, th- these are the sorts of things that are still Silly having an impact on results. Um, yeah. So yeah, you say that about the performance versus versus the result. You know, but if they play brilliantly and and lose, that's that's no good, is it? Well, it's no good. But yeah, you know, surely we're at the point now in 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 kind of uh, I don't know football discourse to realise that uh, if if your team are performing well, creating better chances than the opposition in the main, then just tacking the manager to get a new one in, it's not necessarily a very good time to do that because if you keep doing that, then you, you probably will start picking up points. So, yeah. uh, But I understand that the the sort of the gravitational pull of the relegation zone is uh, enough to, to get, you know, trigger fingers pretty twitchy. Yeah, I reckon our, my prediction is you might see Graham Potter appear in the media at, 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 at some point soon, just to let people know he's a he's, he's available. He might feel like a fit for Bournemouth if they if they were to do that. And I, you know, interesting. Jonathan talks about Solanke because I am convinced there's a real top centre forward in Solanke. He actually has everything that you would want from a, a modern day centre forward. In, in in my opinion, I think in a better team, Solanke scores a, a lot of goals and becomes a real real high level player. But yeah, we're nearly out of time, so probably not the time to start talking about Dominic Solanke. So thank you very much to you both for joining me on the Edge of the Box podcast today. I really really enjoyed both of your companies, and I wish you no luck whatsoever in the predictions <laughs> league this week. We will be back next week to preview next week's Premier League action, as we always do here on the Who Scored podcast. So make sure you're subscribing with your post notifications on. Leave us a, a comment as well wherever you are digesting this podcast. We'd like to hear from you. Do you agree with our opinions in this show? But the most important thing for you to do is wherever you're taking in the podcast is to subscribe because we want to get those numbers up. We'll be back again next week rotating our panel. Tell all your friends and family about the pod and have an excellent weekend. Hold up. 